You have your Bibles this morning. Turn to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. 243 years ago, America officially became a nation by adopting what we know as the, uh, you know, Declaration of Independence. And I believe is the greatest nation on the face of the earth. I've been to many, many countries. I've been to Nicaragua. I've been to uh, Venezuela, I've been to Brazil, Chile, Argentina, Mexico, Honduras, uh, uh, Peru. I've been all over the place. Africa, we even went to Africa on a mission trip. You know, we've been all over the place, but can I tell you something? There's no better country I would rather live in than the United States of America. I want to talk to you today on making America great again. If anybody ever heard that term, I just come up with that term myself, all right? Yeah, right. We've heard that term and we've heard that term turn, make America great again. You know, that was the campaign slogan that President Donald Trump used in his 2016 presidential campaign. However, Ronald Reagan used a similar similar, uh, slogan back in 1980 in his, you know, uh, bid for president, his successful bid, may I say. He said, let's make America great again. So, you know, uh, Trump has already, uh, you know, said that his new for 2020 you know, his campaign slogan will be kind of like that. Instead of let's, uh, make America great again, it's going to be keep America great again. Now, I want to ask here, you know, he, he feels evidently, President Trump, like him or not, you know, I imagine we'd have different opinions here this morning, but President Trump feels like his policies and his leadership has made us great again. That's why he's going to say now, keep America great. Now, here's what I want to say. Some have argued that America never was particularly great. I've heard that argument. Well, we never was great to begin to, in order to be great again. But can I tell you something? I personally feel that these people who do not think America is great or has ever been great, I think they need to be given a one-way ticket to North Korea and deal with the little fat man, okay? Deal with him. Now, again, that's my personal opinion of which I am entitled to, correct? Amen. Okay. And you're entitled to yours. But have we ever been a great nation? You know, are we now a great nation? Most true Americans, you know, those who really love our country, those who will stand for the national anthem, those who will put their hand over their heart, Now, in my personal opinion, again, which I'm entitled to, a person who will not stand for the national anthem, a person who will not place their hand over their heart when we're doing the pledge to the flag, a person who chooses to kneel during that time, they are not true Americans. That's my personal opinion. They are American haters as far as I'm concerned, you know, if they do that. But most true Americans, those who truly love our country, those who truly respect our flag, I believe would say yes to both of those questions, that we are a great nation, we have been a great nation. You know, so this is what I want to talk to you about. You know, are we a great nation? Will we continue to be a great nation, making America great again? Now, I want to frame the question in a little different way. 
Okay? Rather than saying, are we a good nation or have we ever been a good nation, I want to reframe that question and I want you to think to yourself how you would answer this. Here's my question. Does God see the United States of America as a great nation? Think about that for a moment. It doesn't matter what you and I think. It doesn't matter what these American haters think, okay? The question that we must deal with is, does God look at America as a great nation? You see, you know, that's all that matters is how God views us because ultimately it is God who we as individuals and we as a nation are going to answer to someday. So let's look and see what it takes for God to make the determination that we are a great nation. On July the 16th, 2012, the late Dan Cathy, who was CEO of Chick-fil-A, we all know of Dan Cathy, he was interviewed by Kay Allen Blum for the Baptist Press. Now, Blum made this statement to Cathy, by who, who, by the way, was an active member of the New Hope Baptist Church in Fayetteville, Georgia. And here was the conversation. I think we got it up on the screen for you. Yeah, follow with me. Some has opposed the company's support of the traditional family. Well, he said, guilty as charged when asked about the company's position. We are very much supportive of the family, the biblical definition of the family unit. We are a family-owned business, a family-led business, and we are married to our first wives. We give God thanks for that. We operate as a family business. Our restaurants are typically led by families. Some are single. We want to do everything possible to strengthen the families. We are very much proud, I mean, we are very much committed to that. Now, I want you to see what Kathy emphasized here. We intend to stay the course, he said. We know that it may not be popular with everyone, but here's the point I want to look at. But thank the Lord, we live in a country where we can share our values and operate on biblical principles. Now, look at that last part again. You know, he is thankful that we live in a country where we can share our values and operate on biblical principles. Now, my only question with what Kathy, you know, said in this interview is, do we really live in a country that we can share our values and operate on biblical principles, or must we compromise our values and must we compromise our biblical principles if those principles and those values go against today's society? That's what I would have to question. You see, if we can actually share our values and operate on biblical principles, then why do bakeries get shut down for standing on those biblical principles? If we can actually, you know, share our values and operate on biblical principles, why do floor shops get shut down because they want to hold to those biblical principles? If we can truly share our values and operate on biblical principles, why is it some people get fired from jobs for standing up for their values? You see, it is my opinion, which I've given it a lot this morning. I'll give a lot of my opinion this morning. It is of my opinion that the United States of America, or that in the United States of America, one can only share their values and views so long as those values align with the moral or immoral society and one's views are tolerant of those views of the immoral people in our nation. That's my opinion. Yes, you say, well, you got a right to share your views. Can I tell you something? As long as they align with the immoral society, I do. 
A person can make fun and condemn Christianity all day long, but you had better keep your opinion to yourself when it comes to Muslims. One can condemn the sin of drunkenness and drug abuse all they want. You know, but when it comes to uh, the abomination of homosexuality, they better keep their opinion to yourself. Yes, we live in a country where one can share those values, but those values had better line up, you know, with the uh, immoral society or you're going to be ostracized for what you feel is right in your heart. Though we live in the greatest nation in the world, this nation has some problems. And if we are to make America great again, there's some things that we must change. If God is going to view America great, then there's some things we're going to have to change. And let me suggest to you, passing new laws is not going to make those changes. Having a good, strong, healthy stock market is not going to bring the changes needed. So let's jump off into this study this morning. God will always rebuke rebellion, folks. Here in Matthew chapter 11, let's begin with verse 20. Then began he, to talking about Jesus, to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done. Now don't, mention, uh, don't miss that. The, uh, the, the city that he was upbraiding, the cities, were the cities where he spent the most time and he'd done the greatest of miracles. Now, why rebuke? Because they repented not. Woe to thee, Chorazin. Woe to thee, Beside. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, It shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which are exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which were done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would remain unto this day. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. Wow. We all know what happened to Sodom, don't we? And Jesus is saying, because of all that I've done in your city, because of all that you saw me do, because of all the miracles I performed, because of everything that, you know, all the words that I taught, you're going to be held to a higher standard than Sodom. Now, the word upbraid here simply means to rebuke or to denounce heavy judgment. Church, we had better understand that even though God is love, Even though God is a God of love, He will only tolerate immorality and rebellion so long until the other side comes out, that side of judgment and justice. Now, it's important to note here, again, the cities that He began to denounce and have heavy judgment upon. First of all, what do we see? Rebuke came upon those who had rejected Jesus and His messengers. Don't miss this. The cities that He rebuked The cities that he upbraided here were the cities who had rejected him and his messengers. What's he say? Then he began to upbraid these cities. You know, this is very important to note. When we look at the cities mentioned, as we've done said, we see that these are cities where Jesus spent much of his time while he was here on the face of the earth. These are cities that his disciples spent many, many hours proclaiming the word of God. Not only had his disciples been in this city preaching, but Jesus had been in these cities preaching. And Jesus had been in these cities performing many, many miracles. 
And not only Jesus had brought the word to them, the disciples had brought the word to them, even John the Baptist had brought the word to them. And they rejected the word of God. Look, his judgment would come upon them for many reasons. First of all, his judgment would come upon them. Jesus had observed how repulsive they had treated both John and himself representing John as a crazy man, talking about John the Baptist there, and even the, uh, teach, uh, uh, you know, looking at Jesus as the devil. The second thing is, Jesus had observed how they could not be pleased with the ministry of himself nor his disciples, nor were they willing to admit their sins and turn from it. Therefore, he righteously began to reproach them for their ungenerous treatment of him and his messengers. And third of all, Jesus had observed their gratitude, ingratitude for him, their unbelief in him, and the hardness of their hearts. That's why he rebuked them. For these three reasons, Jesus knew that these people could not be moved to repent from their evil ways. They was in their we evil ways. They enjoyed their evil ways. They was not going to repent from their evil ways. This had become a way of life for them. They was content in their evil ways. They did not believe in him. They did not, not acknowledge him as Messiah. And with all the instruction he had given them, all the miracles that he had performed among them, these cities were not about to be moved from their immorality. And the sad thing is, the most number of miracles and the greatest of their kind that Jesus did while he is on this earth happened in, 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 in the city of Capernaum. Jesus spent a lot of his time there. You know, that's where he cured the centurion's daughter. That, uh, that's where he healed Peter's wife's uh, mother from a fever. That's where he healed the palsy who was sick. That's where he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. That's where he cast out the dumb uh, devils from a dumb man. That's where he, you know, cured the woman of an issue of blood. All of these things and more Jesus performed in this one city. But understand this. Jesus rebuked them because they repented not. That's why he rebuked them. Because he convicted, he convicted, he taught, he, he put his word out there, he told them right from wrong, and Jesus you know, uh, rebuked them because they would not repent. Not because they did not condone and con, you know, commend the things that he was doing, but because they would not repent. Look, all that he did, was done in order to bring men to repentance of their sins and faith in himself that they might be saved. That's why he did it. But they refused. They refused. Now, the next thing we see here is to whom much is given, much is required. We've heard that and heard that and heard that, have we not? Look here at verse 23. We're going to look there. You see, here's where I generally get concerned for America. Of all the nations in the world, of all the nations in the world, I believe we have received more from God over the past couple of centuries that we've been a nation than any other nation on the face of the earth. Folks, God has smiled down on us more than any nation on the face of this earth. We have more churches. We have more seminaries. We have more Bible colleges. We have more places of higher edu education to train people in the ways of the Lord than all the other countries combined. Think about that. 
The United States of America, folks, we have been blessed of God with the freedom, you know, to have these seminaries, to have these churches, to have these Bible colleges, to be able to teach our children the ways of the Lord. And as a nation, we've been given more because I believe we're going to be, and because we've been given more, I believe we're going to be held at a higher standard of judgment by God. Again, look at verse 23. And thou, Capernaum, which are exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained, talking about Sodom, unto this day. But I say unto you, that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Let's break this down. Which are exalted unto heaven, he told Capernaum. You know, what Jesus was making reference here to is the fact that of all the cities, of all the cities, Capernaum was the one blessed with the presence of Jesus Christ the most. You know, this is an expression used to denote uh, great privileges. They were the city that experienced many great works of Christ. They were the city where Christ chose to dwell much of his time while he was here on this earth. They were the city that had more teaching by Christ and of Christ and for Christ than any of the other cities. They were especially favored by God in instruction of the Word of God. The city was a prosperous city. Look, has the United States of America been exalted higher than any other nation in the world? I believe we have. Look here. The good news of Christ is on television. The good news of Christ is on radio. The good news of Christ is on billboards. Chances are some of you even got the good news of Christ on a bumper sticker on the back of your car. The good news of Jesus Christ, folks, is all around in our great nation. I mean, with smartphones now, you can pick it up anywhere, anytime. And folks, because of that, we have been exalted as a nation by God. That's why we're the greatest nation on the face of the earth. And because of that, folks, because God is just, you know, engrossed us in His Word, He just poured out His Word upon us, and His Word is everywhere in our nation, folks, we're going to be held at a higher, to a higher standard on the day of judgment. And that's what He was saying to, to the city here of Capernaum. There's more of Christ in our nation than of all the nations in the world combined. We have more of Christ. Now, the next thing is, you shall be brought down to hell. Now, what was Jesus talking about when he told Capernaum they was going to be brought down to hell? Here's the sad part. This does not mean that all the people of that city was going to die and go to hell, but that city which had flourished and prospered would lose its prosperity and occupy the lowest place among cities. Now, don't miss this. Capernaum was there folks they had experienced everything of God they was exalted by God God had blessed Capernaum you know his word was everywhere in Capernaum and he said but you know what you did not do nothing with it and now you're going to be brought down to hell now what's he talking about here the word hell used here is the Greek word Hades and it doesn't denote a place of punishment in the future world but it's a state it's speaking about a state of desolation and destruction their privileges their honor, their wealth, and things like that would be taken away and they would sink as low among the cities as any other city would sink. In church, there is nothing that remains of that city today. It's all gone. 
It's all gone. It's desolate. It's gone. It's over with. It's been destroyed. All because they would not repent. All because God held them to a higher standard because the word was there. And they didn't do nothing with it. And he said, because of that, you're about to be desolate. You're about to be destroyed. Destruction's going to come. United States of America, God has blessed us with his word. He's blessed us with wealth. He's blessed us with, uh, you know, his presence. But what are we doing with it? What are we doing with it? If America remains on the course that it's on today, we too are going to experience desolation and destruction as a nation. All that God has blessed us with is going to be taken away. Our richness as a nation, our freedom as a nation, you know, our rights as a nation, our fellowship as a nation with the living God. When homosexuality runs rampant, folks, and unchecked, when the killing of innocent babies runs rampant and unchecked, when fornication and adultery run rampant and unchecked, when the Christian, when we as Christians have to check our beliefs at the door of our workplaces and our schools, then we're about to be brought down to hell. We're about to be brought down to hell. Maybe, I hate to admit, President Barack Hussein Obama was right about something. I wasn't a big fan of his. But maybe Barack Hussein Obama was right on August the 26th, 2008, when he said this. Whatever we once were, we are no longer just a Christian nation. We are a, nation, we are a Jewish nation. We're a Muslim nation. We're a Buddhist nation. We're a Hindu nation. And we are a nation of non-believers. You know what he's saying is? Forget just being a Christian nation. We're going to embrace all of these other religions and put them all together. Folks, that's being tolerant. That's checking our values. Because you see, them other religions don't have the values we have. The next thing Jesus says to him, if the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom. Look, we all know the wickedness that took place in Sodom. Listen, homosexuality was so bad in Sodom. When you read that story, you remember two angels. God sent two angels down to Sodom, you know, to Lot's house. And when, when all the homosexuals in town, you know, knew there was new men in Sodom. You remember the story, they, they gathered around uh, Lot's house and they said, we want them. We want those two men that are in your home. We want to have sex with them. Lot, because he didn't want the homosexuals to take the angels and have sex with them, said, look, why don't you take my two daughters? He was willing to sacrifice his two daughters to keep those homosexuals from having sex with the angels of God. Now, folks, that's bad. That is bad. And if you read the story, they cried out even more, no, we want them, we want them, we want them. He goes on and he says, if Sodom had had what you had, Capernaum, the presence of God, the word of God, the working of God, if they had seen everything that you saw, he said, it would have remained unto this day. 
Look, Sodom was destroyed on account of the great wickedness, but Jesus says of his miracles had been performed there. If his presence had been in the city as much as it was in Capernaum, they would have repented, and consequently, Sodom would not have been destroyed. Look, as it, as it was, it would be better for Sodom in the day of judgment than Capernaum. Why would Jesus say it's going to be better for them in the day of judgment than you? Because again, Capernaum was a city blessed by God. Capernaum was a, a city where Jesus done most of his work or a lot of his work. Capernaum was a city that was exalted unto heaven. So why would Jesus come back and say, you know, it's going to be better on them on the day of judgment than you because you're about to be judged greater than this city that was full of homosexuality, immorality, adultery, fornication, you know, all the evil that was there. Why would Jesus say that? Because its inhabitants would not be called to answer for the abuse of such great privileges. In other words, the people of Sodom would not be called up to answer for a great abuse of the privileges. Why? Because they didn't have the privileges of Capernaum. So in other words, Capernaum was going to be called and judged because of the privileges that God had given them that they neglected and they abused. America, we have great privileges which we are going to have to answer to God for. Great privileges. Where much is given, much is required. And folks, God has given us much. And on the day of judgment, He is going to require much. Again, we are a nation that has not only been blessed greatly by God, but we have, are a nation that has been exalted to heaven because of the presence of God we've experienced. Do we not understand that we experience more of God than these third world countries? Do we not understand that God has given us, the United States of America, more than He's given these third world countries? Do we not understand the presence of God is with us and, and, and around us? And, I mean, he's at our beck and call, folks. Do we not understand that? We are a nation that has not only been blessed greatly by God, but, uh, folks, we're a nation that has been exalted to heaven because of his presence. But, America, if we do not take a stand, if we, do not if we continue to be complacent, if we continue to be tolerant of sin about us just for the sake of getting along, then America, we are going to be brought down to hell. And again, that simply means desolate and destroyed. Again, that term suggests we're going to lose great privileges, great honors, great wealth. All of that's going to be taken away from us, and we're going to be sunk lower than what we ever thought possible. And if you don't believe that, study end-time prophecy. Because when you study end-time prophecy, the tribulation period, you do not find America mentioned at all. Why will America not be prevalent during the tribulation period? Because I believe God already sees we're not going to repent of the sin. That we as Christians are going to continue to be tolerant just for the sake of getting along. So you won't see America in the tribulation period. 
Why? Because we will have already been brought down to hell. We will have already been desolate and destroyed. How sad. We're no different than Capernaum. And again, what did I say about Capernaum earlier? That city is no longer there. No evidence whatsoever. All because they refused to repent. All because God had just poured himself into them. Jesus was there. He worked miracles. He spoke his word. And they refused to accept it. Look, one can only seek tolerance. But when tolerance comes at the expense of compromise of the word of God, folks, there can be no tolerance. Do, do we understand that? We can be tolerant. But if we have to compromise the word of God in order to get along, to be tolerant, to be politically correct, we're going to answer to God for that. America and the church cannot be tolerant on the issue of homosexuality. Listen, you know, we, we got to love them. And we, you know, I mean, that, we have to love them. But we don't have to, you know, accept that lifestyle. Uh, we, we have three homosexuals in our family. Is that right? Three homosexuals. Yeah, Debbie has two cousins and a niece that are homosexual. They come in our home. We love on them. We, you know, we, we still, they know we don't agree with their lifestyle, but we still love them. And we have to love them. Jesus loves them. He died on the cross for them. Okay? But folks, we don't have to be tolerant. We don't have to be tolerant of that lifestyle because it is an abomination against the written Word of God. The church in America can't be tolerant on the issue of abortion when we're killing over 4,000 babies a day. Folks, we can't be tolerant. We can't be acceptive of that. We've got to take a stand against that. America and the church cannot tolerate living together outside the bonds of marriage. Most of the time now, you know, you know, we'll say, well, they have a right to do that. You know what? That's being tolerant. We have to take a stand and say, no, it's violating the written word of God. So, you know, we, 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 can't, we can't just tolerate living together outside the bonds of marriage. Why? Because it's fornication and it, it violates the written word of God. Woe to the nation of people who compromise the written word of God just for the sake of getting along. Now, I reframe my question at the beginning of this. Does God see America as a great nation? Or is he saying to us right now, Woe, America. Woe unto you. I have blessed you with my presence. I have blessed you with my word. I have blessed you with wealth. I have blessed you with being able to fellowship with me day and night whenever you want. And you're abusing it. You're misusing it. Does God see us as a great nation? Or is he looking down at us now? and saying the same thing that he said to the Capernaum. Woe. Woe unto you. You had better return unto me. 
I want you to answer that question to yourself. Let's pray. Thank you.